You know, I love the name Advent Hope. I think it's such an adequate and fitting name, especially for the times that we're living in. Um, my name is uh, Tiffany Rosario, or for those who can pronounce French, it's Tiffen. Um, this is my first time in Loma Linda, so it's lovely to be here. I've been visiting, seeing a little bit um, of the area, and um, it's very nice. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be here this morning. Um, I've come from San Jose, so not too far away. My husband uh, pastors there, and we've been married for just about a year now. Um, so since we got married, I've kind of been back and forth between England and, and here because I'm trying to sort out uh, immigration issues and get my uh, green card finalized and all the rest of it. So um, just to give you a bit of background of myself, I come from Europe originally, and um, I'm actually half French, half Spanish by my parents, but I lived in England for a long time, which is why I have a British accent. Um, apart from that, I studied in, um, I did my sort of, what you would call your high school, but we call it secondary school, and my A-levels in Spain as an international um, college or an international school. And then I went to uh, Liverpool, where I studied for three years for my undergraduates, and then spent a year in France as an exchange student in a city called Lyon, which is the second biggest city of France. Then after that, I went back to Liverpool. I finalized um, my undergraduate degree, and I moved down to London, went to Westminster University to do my master's in translation and interpreting. So um, I'm well, um, well aware of the struggles that students go through. Um, I've been in academia for a while myself, and um, in the middle of all the studies and everything that I was doing, I was always also able to be a part of a few ministries. So I worked in student ministries in uh, England. We sort of set up the equivalent of campus ministries out here. And I was also involved with uh, youth ministry in France and also recently, in more recent years, with GYC Europe. So, um, as I say, I come to you with experience of being a student and knowing about the struggles, um, the blessings and everything that comes with it. Today, as I was thinking about it, I'm reminded of a time when um, I would be uh, coming up to a deadline. I'd have a, an assignment to hand in, and I'm sure you've all been there at some point. You know what it's like. And you're sat in front of your computer, and you're thinking to yourself, I have to hand this in within a few days. And you've got all your books spread out around you, and you're thinking, where do I start? And in front of you is just a blank page on a screen, um, and you're in despair, and you're thinking, where do I begin? But sometimes you just have to pause a moment and you have to say, Lord, help me, and you have to just begin writing. And as you begin writing, you find before you know it, you've got 200 words on your, on your document. And then before you know it, you're at 2,000. And then before you know it, you're in your concluding remarks. And it's interesting because even in the midst of those most difficult moments when we despair as students, when we're stressed out and we're going through difficulties, I don't recall a time where I've ever got to the point where I would sweat blood. And so as I think of Gethsemane and I think of Christ before he encountered his challenges and he was sweating blood, I'm reminded that nothing that I go through is ever as great as what Christ has already been through for me. So please bow your heads with me as we pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can be here this morning. We ask at this time that you would send your Holy Spirit to descend upon this place, that you would be with us, Lord, that you would open our minds and touch our hearts and that you would cause um, our hearts to stir for you, Lord. May we be brought to a better understanding of you, a deeper understanding of you today. And Lord, may we learn how to apply our trials um, and how to grow from them, how to live through them, and how to be guided and steadfast and have peace of mind because we know that you are on our side. We ask that you would hide me behind the cross this morning, Lord, and that you would deliver a message direct from your throne um, and that you would be with us throughout the rest of this day. 
We ask these things and pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the title of the message this morning is Between the Mountain and the Multitude. And this is a, a, a quote taken direct from Steps to Christ, where she talks about how Jesus spent a lot of time with the needy multitudes, but he also spent a lot of time on his own in the mountains. And the quote comes from Steps to Christ, page 101, where Ellen White writes, The life must be like Christ's life, between the mountain and the multitude. So at first, it may not be clear what our mountains are and what our multitudes are, but I'm just going to give you a few ideas to see if uh, we can understand how Christ was balanced and how he lived between the mountain and the multitude and how we can apply that also to ourselves. So a lot of the times as students or even as, as working people, our, our multitudes can be deadlines, assignments we have to hand in, work demands, our responsibilities, our peers, the people that we're surrounded by, and even the service that we give, so the time that we spend on other things, on others. And our mountains are our quiet time, the time where we spend reflecting in self-assessment, when we retreat and we shut off the computer for you know, an hour and we just spend time alone with God and we're connecting with spiritual things. And so God, Christ was uh, an expert when it came to the mountain and the multitude, and he lived a life that was perfectly balanced. He spent just enough time in both, so he was fulfilling the needs of those around him, but he was also being filled up by God constantly. So this morning, um, I want to look at how we can be balanced. And in Psalm 46, verse 10, God calls us to have a mountain experience in order to get to know him. And he says, be still and know that I am God. And you can't really get to know God unless you take time to be still and to have the mountain experience. So what we want to discover is how we can be equally balanced and how we can have a bit of these two aspects in our lives. So there's a few Bible characters that have been through their challenges as, as Christians trying to balance out their experience. And the first one I want to look at is Daniel. And if you'll turn with me to Daniel 2, verse 26 to 28. Daniel chapter 2, verse 26 to 28. And the reason I'm, I'm starting off with Daniel is because um, I believe that Daniel understands um, a lot of our, our difficulties and a lot of our complexities. He was a student in the University of Babylon. I'm sure most of you know about that. If you read chapter one, he was part of Babylon State University, I guess you could say. And um, he studied in a secular um, campus, in a secular area, um, and he was taught many things from the land, but he also tried to stay faithful to his identity and uh, to who he knew he was in God. So let's go ahead and read Daniel 2, verses 26 to 28. And it says... The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head as you lay in bed are these. Okay, so Daniel went through intense social pressure, and we see that as we read here, he had like a lot of expectations on him, and um, he was being questioned by the king of the nation at that time, and um, he was obviously battling with all of these things. And it's interesting because you read here that he was given the name Belteshazzar. It says, King declared to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. Now, Daniel was 
um, his original Hebrew man, that was his original identity. And coming to this place, not only did he encounter the social difficulties of dealing with Babylon, but they even tried to change his name, tried to change his identity, making him into something else. And that's very relevant for us because a lot of the time when we go to different places, whether it be at work or at university, we will come in being one person, and because of the social pressures around us, we will become changed, and people try to influence us to become something else. So Daniel understands this very well. Um, I recall numerous occasions um, when um, I was, you know, at university and my colleagues, my peers, my students, fellow students would say to me, oh, why don't you come out drinking with us this weekend? We're going to go and do this. We're going to do that. You never come with us. And, you know, you always have that kind of like social pressure to kind of be a part of the group and to go out and to do these things. Um, and then, you know, remarks when I would have conversations with my peers, sometimes they'd ask me questions because they knew I was a Christian, and they'd say, oh, so do you really think that Jesus is coming again? And I'd say to them, yeah, I do. And they're like, do you think he's going to come down in the clouds? And I'd say, yes, I do. And they would laugh, you know. But it's interesting because I'm going to tell you a testimony a bit later on about how, um, how being honest and being sincere, um, even when we're under social pressure, and even though, you know, we may not come across as cool, can actually be one of the biggest testimonies that we give. So turn with me to Daniel 5, and we're going to read verses 13 and 16. We're looking here at Daniel's multitude experience. So this is what Daniel faces, his multitudes. Okay? Daniel 5, verses 13 and 16. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. How interesting. So here again, we find Daniel dealing with huge responsibilities. He has all these expectations. He's being compared to the wise men and the enchanters. And um, he's being even made to compete with them. He's like, can you do better than them, you know? And we find this a lot of the time as well in our own experience. You know, we're like head on with other people. And um, he's basically asked to prove himself. He has to prove himself to those that are listening and he's even tempted. He's being tried, and he's being even perhaps bribed by the king, because the king is saying, if you do this, this will be your reward, right? And a lot of the time, we find ourselves in a similar situation where, man, you know, we just do the shortcut, the easy way out, and then to do the, the right thing is the hardest thing, no? So again, Daniel's experience, very similar to a lot of the things that we uh, encounter um, on a day-to-day -day, um, basis. So my question is, how was Daniel able to remain so faithful in the midst of all these things that were taking place and going on? And what did he do in his mountain experience that was special um, that helped him to remain steadfast? So let's turn to Daniel 2, verses 17 to 19. We're going back. And Daniel spent a lot of time in his mountain experiences, and these things strengthened him. They strengthened his trust in God and his faith in him as well. So reading from verse 17... Then Daniel went to the house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. 
Azariah, sorry, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and, and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what was asked of you, what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matters. And this is beautiful because, first of all, Daniel's encouraging his friends. He's encouraging his friends to pray um, and to seek mercy from God. Then the Lord grants his request and he gives him the explanation of the king's vision. And then what does Daniel do? He glorifies God in prayer and he lifts God's name on high and he thanks him, he blesses him, and he praises him. So very interesting. Daniel was able to be powerful when he stood before the multitudes because in the mountain, in his solitude, he had a powerful encounter one-on-one with God. He lifted his name on high. He praised him and he thanked him. Let's look also at Daniel 6, verse 10. And it says, Daniel 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So this tells us that Daniel was a man of prayer, that he prayed throughout when he was younger, into his older years, throughout he was faithful to God in prayer. And the reason, again, he was able to stand strong and firm was because he spent time alone first with God. So, Daniel's example is inspiring and encouraging, and it reminds me of two powerful experiences as well um, that I had at university that I'm just going to bring in at this point. One of them was with um, a fellow student called uh, David. Now, David was half Angolan and half Irish, and we used to have these conversations about, you know, he was quite philosophical. He didn't believe in um, God, but it was interesting because one day um, we met in the library and we were having a, a discussion. And when I was studying in my first two years at university, I would work part-time so that I could get money to pay for my studies and my housing and so on. I would be studying at university. I'd often sometimes go to the gym, trying to keep healthy. You know, not just the mind needs to be activated, but obviously the body as well. Um, and I would do a lot of things. And I'd be involved also in church, um, leading out with a, a Sabbath school for the children and in personal ministries. I helped out with evangelism and so on and so forth. So we had a discussion one day in the library and um, he knew that I was a busy person. That I got a lot of stuff done. And he said to me one day, you know, I'm gonna, I want to put a poster of you next to the poster of Muhammad Ali in my bedroom because I find you inspirational. And I laughed and I was like, why, why would you say that? And he's like, well, I don't understand how you managed to do so many things you know, in the, the short time we have because obviously student life can be very stressful. And um, he's like, you know, I'm just like, I admire that. And you know, I'm going to put a poster of you as inspiration. And it spoke volumes to me because they even knew that I was a Christian. And um, I myself was often surprised at how many things in in a period of 24 hours I could get done. And um, as I thought about it in later years, I'd sit down and I'd think, 
man, like, this week has been crazy. Like, I'd get up in the morning, you know, have devotions, get ready, go to university, sit in university for several hours. From there, I'd go to the gym, you know, exercise for an hour, try to get the, the body moving. Then I'd go to work, and I'd be working sort of for five hours. Then I'd get home, and I'd have to, like, finish off a bit of an assignment or work on something else, go to bed, get up the next day. And my days were extremely productive, like, very, very productive. It's funny how sometimes when we're under pressure, we're actually more productive than when we've got nothing to do. <laughs> But um, I just, I thank God because, you know, really it was like to his glory. Um, I don't think that I was doing anything particularly special, but I think that by being faithful in some small things, God was helping me in other areas. And I really sort of saw that God was, was faithful. You know, when I tried to do um, my efforts and make, um, make a difference in, in small areas, God would bless me in bigger areas. My assignments were all on time. I got good grades um, and I was thriving. I was really starting to enjoy my experience as a student. And not every student can say that, you know. Sometimes it's a real, a real battle. So that was a really powerful example and a really powerful testimony to me. When that happened, I was like, wow, you know, God is, God is doing things, you know, because a lot of the time we don't think that God's doing anything with us. We think, oh, I'm here, you know, who am I impacting? What, what, um, what is my life showing? And, you know, what am I doing here? You know, what, what's the point of it all? And when you have those kind of encounters, it's a reminder that God is working through you even when you don't realize it. And another occasion, um, there was a girl in my class, um, she was studying Spanish, and um, she was kind of a little bit, um, how do I put this? She was a little bit, um, you know, not the hardest worker. She was a little bit, um, you know, like to kind of relax and take it easy. And some of my other um, colleagues, my students, would get frustrated with her because she'd always ask us questions and she'd say to us, oh, um, you know, have you done this homework or how do I do this and can you help me with that? And the, my other, um, the other students in my class, they didn't have the time of day for her. They were like, you know, you need, to, you need to pull your socks up, as we say in England, and, you know, get working, you know, just work harder. And um, I think sometimes I was the only one who was kind of merciful with her and patient. I'd talk to her, you know, help her out a little bit. And um, she remembers that, you know, and she would say to me towards the end of university when we were finishing off, she said, you know, I thank you for always being nice, for always kind of putting up with me and being patient where other people didn't. And two years or three years later, I was at home one day and she wrote to me on Facebook and she said to me, um, oh, Tiff, um, and this is, by the way, the same girl that asked me if I think that Jesus is coming again and who laughed at me when I said that I believed he was coming again. She thought it was hilarious. The same girl um, wrote to me on Facebook these few years later and she said to me, um, I'm going through a really difficult time right now. Um, I'm living in a house with someone else, like sharing, and sh her boyfriend's a drug addict and she brings him round and they're just causing problems in the house and I'm really stressed out. Can you pray for me? And this girl doesn't believe in God. She's not a Christian. She doesn't pray. But she remembers me as a Christian in her class. And she remembers the fact that I pray and that I believe. So she asked me. And on that occasion, I said, yeah, I'd love to. And I prayed for her. And, you know, a few days later, she wrote to me. She's like, thank you so much. And she told me that the issue had been resolved. And like that, two or three times, different, different problems that she had in the space of a few months, she would write to me and she'd ask to me, she would ask me, can you pray for me? I would pray for her, and within the, a matter of days or a week, God would answer that prayer. And I would say to her, wow, praise God. I said, you know, when you get the answer, write to me and let me know, because, you know, that's a powerful testimony. And it's just interesting. You never, I never would have thought, wow, coming away from university three years on, she's going to write to me, and the same girl that was laughing at my beliefs is going to be the one that asks me to pray for her. You know? So I just want to say that as well to encourage you, because 
just like Daniel, we also can be pillars, steadfast for God. We can be an amazing example of what God can do um, in, in, a, in a converted life. Um, to all those around us, we can show mercy, we can show grace, uh, and we can be kind. And those two experiences for me were very encouraging, um, and they just go to show that we're witnessing all the time, even when we don't know it. Okay, so we're now going to look at Elijah, and he also had his moments of retreat and solitude in his mountain. And I just want you to turn with me to 1 Kings, verse, uh, chapter 17, verses 2 to 4. Yep, yeah, I'll read, and it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook, Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So God's commanding him at this point to turn away, sorry, and to um, basically be in solitude at the brook, and the ravens are bringing him food. So he's in complete solitude, completely retreated from the, the real world. And he spends this time, if you like, in preparation for what's about to happen. So he's in nature, in the wilderness. And we often see this pattern in the Bible of this wilderness experience where, you know, God takes someone to the wilderness before he takes them to do something great. So he's always preparing first. And that, that preparation always takes like a one-on-one -on -one encounter with God where it's in solitude. You know, it's just me and him. So um, he's taking him into the, the, the wilderness. Um, God's leading him in the, set, the solitude until he's prepared and before he can be successful with the multitude, he had to learn to be successful in solitude. Sometimes we have to learn to be at peace and okay in solitude, just one-on-one -on -one with God, before he can take us to do great things before the nations, right? And so we see that in 1 Kings 17, he's being prepared. And then most of you know the story later on. Um, it follows on that he takes him to Mount Carmel. And what happened at Mount Carmel? You had the 4,500 prophets, 450 prophets, sorry, of um, Baal that were all kind of like doing their ritual, trying to like pray and worship their gods um, to, get the, to get fire to come down from heaven. Um, and there stood Elijah on his own, the only prophet for the true God. Um, and instantly after he um, requested it, you know, God sent down the fire. So Elijah was very much responsible. He had like the weight of the world on his shoulders, you could say, in this uh, experience. But before he was able to do that successfully, first of all, he spent time retreated and in solitude. And amazing accomplishments, as I say, always come after first spending time with God. Now, Elijah was outnumbered and he was stressed um, because of the responsibilities and expectations. And I think that's very relevant for us as well, because whether it be that you're a student or you're in the working world, a lot of the time we're overwhelmed. You know, we have so many things going on. Um, we have so many expectations. And sometimes we just have to, like, cut ourselves free. It's like, my parents want me to do this. Society's telling me to do this. I'm expected to get amazing grades. And, like, you know, if you worry so much all the time about fulfilling other people's expectations, it can just, like, drive a person mad, you know? So what we have to focus on is fulfilling God's expectations first and leaning on him, allowing him to take us through. And then, you know, just doing things gradually, bit by bit, prioritizing, you know, um, because that's also difficult sometimes, you know, when we've got so many things going on um, at once. So when you're worried about your higher grades and, you know, having better skills and reaching more, um, just remember to go to God first in order to, for those things to take place. Okay, and then the um, other person I want to look at is Moses. And um, just, I'll just go over this for the sake of time briefly. Before going out to the multitudes, before going into Egypt and saying, let my people go, um, 
Moses had actually killed someone in Egypt, unfortunate as that is, um, and he had taken and he had taken time and had gone into the wilderness. God had led him there, and he spent 40 um, years there. And in the wilderness, he was pastoring sheep. So that's definitely a life of solitude. Um, and I love this because Moses is just the prime example of how you know we're kind of walking with God. We mess up. We make mistakes. God leads us again into the right path. We mess up, and we kind of come and go, you know, but God is always bringing us back to the fold, you know, and it's so encouraging to read about Bible characters who have been through experiences, much like our own. Um, I mean, maybe no one here has killed anybody, but, you know, you've all done something atrocious. We've all sinned um, at some point in our lives, and we've also hurt other people, no doubt, as well. So despite that, um, God takes Moses into the wilderness. He's pastoring sheep, and God is preparing him so that he's ready when he goes into Egypt. And again, before Moses could be successful in the multitudes, before he could part the receipt, before he could do all of those things, he had to spend 40 years in solitude, in the wilderness, pastoring those sheep and learning to connect with God, learning to lean on God, to depend on him and allowing the Lord to prepare him. So interestingly, how many of you remember the story on um, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus shone brightly and two figures appeared before him, two characters? Do you remember that? Yeah. And who, do you remember who those two people were? Elijah and Moses. Now, this is so beautiful. Um, by the way, that's found in Matthew 17, uh, verses 1 to 4, if you want to look at it. The two very people that God sends to stand before, uh, to stand before Jesus are Moses and Elijah. And I want to read this quote to you from The Desire of Ages, page 422 to 423. It says this. The disciples were confident that Moses and Elijah had been sent to protect their master and to establish his authority as king. But before the crown must, be, must come the cross, not the inauguration of Christ as king, but the decease to be accomplished at Jerusalem is the subject of their conference with Jesus. Bearing the weakness of humanity and burdened with its sorrows and sin, Jesus walked alone in the midst of men. As the darkness of the coming trial pressed upon him, he was in loneliness of spirit. In a world that knew him not, even his loved disciples, absorbed, absorbed in their own doubt and sorrow and ambitious hopes, not, had not comprehended the mystery of his mission. He had dwelt amid the love and fellowship of heaven, but in the world that he had created, he was in solitude. And this is the best bit here, this last part. Now heaven had sent its messengers to Jesus, not angels, but men who had endured suffering and sorrow and who could sympathize with the Savior in the trial of his earthly life. Moses and Elijah had been collaborators with Christ. They had shared his longing for the salvation of men. Moses had pleaded for Israel, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And that's found in Exodus 32, 32. And I think this is incredible because in Christ's difficult moments, in that, the, that trying time when he knew what was lying ahead of him, who did God send to comfort him? And who did God send to speak to him a word of encouragement? He didn't send angels. He sent two, um, two men who had walked on the earth two people who had been through a very similar experience to him, who had made an effort and who had tried to, you know, win the people's hearts back to God. And 
Christ has encountered exactly the same thing that they had, and here they were, the ones comforting him, giving him counsel. And I think that's so beautiful because as students, when we're going through difficulties, and even as human beings, sometimes we just need to speak to someone else who's been through that before. And God uses human beings to help human beings. He uses us to encourage one another, to build one another up, and to support one another. Um, And it's just a beautiful lesson that, you know, even God is aware in the the details, every single time we're going through something, what we need specifically and precisely in that very moment. So, in all things, Christ is our ultimate example. And I just want to turn to Luke 6, 12. Luke 6, verse 12. And I'm going to read, In these days he went out to the mountain and prayed, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, if Jesus Christ prayed a lot to his Father, and he was perfect in all his ways and never sinned, do you not think that we also need to pray an awful lot to our Heavenly Father? You know, sometimes we try to encounter and face battles, and we've got, like, no ammunition, no armor on, and we go into, like, these stressful situations. I've got a presentation next Thursday, and we go in, and we haven't even prayed, you know? So if the King of the Universe while he was here, needed to connect with God and needed prayer and needed help, we also need the same thing and we need to make sure that we absorb ourselves in prayer continuously so that God can help us out. So this is Luke 16, verse 12, and um, Christ is alone, see? And it's interesting because at this time, he's doing the same thing as the the previous characters I mentioned. He's preparing himself. He's having alone time with God one-on-one. Now jump down to verse 17, the same chapter. And he came down, he's coming down from the mountain, with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed from their diseases. Now, I think this is beautiful. The prime example, the perfect example of how to do it. Christ spent time in the the mountain on his own praying first. Then he came down and he encountered the multitudes. And we have to be the same way. Before we encounter the multitudes, we need to spend time in the mountain. And it's beautiful because in the verses between, so if we look at 13 to 15, so we read 12 and we read 17, but in the verses between, um, Jesus actually spends time at that moment choosing his disciples So when Jesus was making the most important decisions of his ministry and of his professional life, if you like, what was he doing? He was praying about them. And whenever we're going to make the most important decisions of our lives, we also need to spend a lot of time praying about it. And I say that because here at university, you're going to encounter some huge decisions. And as you leave university, you've got to choose the job you're going to walk into and the work you're going to do. And you need to spend a huge amount of time in prayer with that. Sometimes we get great offers and we think, wow, this is awesome. Like, how could God not want this for me? But we don't actually take it to the Lord in prayer first just to make sure and to see, Lord, is this really from you? Do you want me to walk this way? Yeah? So if it's good enough for Christ, it's good enough for us. Amen? And then the ultimate example, obviously, is um, Calvary. Now, um, in Calvary, you remember that prior to um, going to the cross, where was Jesus? He spent time in Gethsemane. And what was he doing in Gethsemane? He was praying. 
So when you're faced with the biggest challenges as well, remember, even Christ got on his knees in Gethsemane and he prayed to his father before he had to endure um, what was ahead of him. And that was a very difficult prayer. It was very harsh. As I said at the beginning, you know, none of us have ever sweat drops of blood and none of us have ever been through an experience like that. And when you're going through your hardest, deepest, darkest moments and your biggest trials, just remember that nothing you go through compares to what Christ has already been through. And God never calls us to do something that he's not willing to do himself. You know, he's died for us, which is why he asks us to die to ourselves daily, right? He's already been there and done those things, which is why he's entitled to ask them and require them from us, because he's already done it, right? So he's a very fair God. And in closing, I want to read this, um, this uh passage, which is from William E.H. Leckie. He's a British atheist historian. And he says, and I quote, the simple record of three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and to soften mankind than all the disquisitions of philosophers and than all the exhortations of moralists. So in three short years, what Christ was able to do with his mountain and multitude experience was far greater and was able to impact mankind so much more than all the philosophizing and all the rest of those, those things in the world um, and the exhortations of moralists and all the rest of it. And we're to be reminded that Christ is our ultimate example and that he has already been before us and he's experienced it all. So I just want to leave you with a few points um, in conclusion. Um, a few things that you, know, you, you may want to remember, things that will help to encourage you. Um, and just especially in this time that you're, you're going through as students or as, as people who are working, um, just sort of concepts to take with you. So you should take these years especially to allow God to mold you. In this time, you know, when you're transitioning, when you're going through your, your studies and then you're going into work, you're going to meet so many different people um, from all over the world. You're going to grow enormously. You know, I remember that I, in my student years, I had times when I was living with a girl from Kenya and I, like, cooked. I learned how to cook Kenyan dishes. And then the year following that, I was living with a Jamaican and then I was living with um, an Indian and I was living... And it was so cool because I got to, like, experience the whole world in one small place. And it's, it's marvelous. When you're a student, you meet and encounter so many people from, from all over the world and take that opportunity to grow, to enrich yourselves, to develop, you know, to open your mind um, and allow those things to mold you. Allow yourself to understand that not everyone's going to think the way you do, but you're going to learn to be respectful and to share your opinions um, because that's the mature thing to do. It's the adult thing to do. Um, and God wants to make us mature spiritually speaking as well, not just, you know, mature in our way of thinking, you know. And, um, and let him use you, you know. A lot of the time when I was um, studying, I would pray this prayer. In the morning when I got up, I would be like, Lord, use me. And every time, the next day or the day after, God would give me an opportunity. I would encounter someone and I'd be able to share with them. And there are certain prayers that you know that God is always guaranteed to answer them. They may not come straight away, but he's definitely going to bring that. So if you just pray the simple prayer, Lord, use me. Allow me to do something for you today. And he will. He'll provide you with opportunities, whether it's a conversation with someone, whether it's the ability to, to do a kind act for someone, help them out with something. Um, and that day you'll go home and you'll feel more satisfied. You'll think to yourself, I actually did something for someone else today and not just for myself, right? So take that time. Use it to grow, to allow God to, to shape you um, and the opportunities that God gives to, for you to witness. And remember as well that in the mixed multitude of university and in, of the working world, 
They're experiences that you will never repeat again. I mean, unless you're a student perpetually, but I don't think anyone wants to do that. But you know, you're going to encounter people that you won't encounter anywhere else, and you're going to have experiences that you don't have anywhere else. And these are golden opportunities. They're moments in their years where if you use this to your advantage, you'll come out of the end of your studies and you'll be like, that was incredible. I saw God's hand use me. I grew. Um, I can tell that God is taking me to a new place. Um, and so just remember that. Remember that your student years cannot be replaced. Once you leave um, academia and you go into the working world, it's very different. So wherever you are, in whatever situation you are, allow God to work and to use you. The next point is in Psalm 34, 8. The Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So do that. Just take time and see that God is good. See that he fulfills his promises. And, you know, to some degree, I, I, we, we spoke about this the other day, test him. Um, not, you know with malicious intentions, but just, um, you know, test God in the sense that you're going to see he's faithful and you're going to see that he's true and say, listen, Lord, in your word, you promised this, you said this to me, you said, taste and see that you are good and uh, I'm doing this and I'm asking you right now to reveal this to me, to fulfill this promise in my life and allow God to reveal himself to you and allow yourself to start to have an experience with God, you know, um, to begin your own personal walk. In many, many students, when they start studying for the first time. Um, they're leaving their homes for the very first time in their lives, and they're coming away. And up until now, they've been kind of like secluded, they've been supported. Their parents have been saying to them, yeah, you should go to church this Sabbath. So they've gone because they felt they had to. Now, when you become a student and you're independent, you're all by yourself, and all of a sudden, you're not accountable to anybody anymore, and you can pretty much do what you want. Right? So that's where you really get the opportunity to start having an experience of your own. And my student years, when I left Spain, I was living in Spain when I was baptized, and a year later, about a year later, I moved to, Eng uh, to England, back to England, and that's when I started studying. And they were the most powerful years for me um, as a young Christian growing, because I found myself by myself, and I found myself having to kind of lean and depend on God and say, Lord, I'm by myself, help me through this. I know you've got this. And I would go into my presentations, and I'd be like, do you know what? God's got this, it's okay. You know? And it's very encouraging, and it's beautiful, because you start to realize that God is real for you as an individual. He's not just the God of your parents, or the God of you know, what other people speak about, but he becomes very real to you. So take that time to taste, and to see that the Lord is good, and to have the, your one-on-one -on -one experience with him. Make it your own. Seek godly counsel and share your burdens with those um, who understand and who have already been through it. So just like we saw the example with Moses and Elijah coming to speak to Jesus, go to people who you know have been there in the past. They've been through the same experience. They've been students themselves. They've had the same trials. And seek counsel from them. You know, go to the godly people, preferably, because they will hopefully give you better counsel. Um, and people who, you know, are Bible-based. And, um, and, you know, the Bible says in the multitude of counselors there is wisdom. So it's, it's very, very healthy. It's very good. So sometimes just go to someone and just pour out, you know, this is what I'm going through. I'm really struggling with this. How can I focus? What do I need? And the Lord will help you with that. And he will provide counselors, people who are maybe older, people who have been through a similar experience. Um, sometimes we think that we only should just pray to God. But I just want to clarify that God uses other people as well to speak to us. Okay. Um, 
When we are completely stressed out, remember that God has got everything under control and it's his business to take care of things. That's what, his, that's what he does, it's his job. In Isaiah 26 verse 3 it says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And in Philippians 4, 7, the Bible says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? When we learn to depend on God, when we learn to be steadfast on God, no matter what things come our way, we won't be moved because we are stayed in that perfect peace that only God can supply. You know, when you're stressed out, you're like, you know, God's got this. Everything is under control. It's all in God's hands. Yeah, when that happens, then you know that things are going well and you know that it's not about your efforts or what you do. It's not about how hard you work and obviously you need to put the hard work in, but you know that there is something greater than your efforts, someone who is doing something bigger than what you were able to do. And that's a very, very comforting in your worst trials and in your struggles and when you're stressed out. Um, that's really, really something that just, you know, brings it all together and gives you perspective. It helps you to realize, you know, this is just the here and now, but ahead of me awaits so much more. So remember those things. Remember to trust the Lord um, and allow his peace to help us to surrender. And then the final point I want to make is that they say that, that home is where the heart is. Now, if your heart is in God, then home can be wherever you go. So wherever you go, whatever you're going through, whichever country you visit, even when you're far away from you know, your loved ones and your family, if your heart is set in God, then you'll always be at home wherever you are. And that's important because sometimes we struggle as um, students or even as older people who are working to sort of feel comfortable with certain things. And sometimes we're looking to be satisfied and fulfilled in stuff around us because we uh, have not learned to just depend on the Lord and to put our, our heart in his hands and to make him our home. So just remember to think about the fact that um, whenever you're going through your experiences, wherever God takes you, if you're traveling around the world, um, you can have the comfort and the peace that God gives wherever you are if you base yourself uh, in him and if your home is in his heart. So maybe this morning you're struggling to get the balance right in your experience and you've put too much time into the multitudes and you're not having much success with all your efforts. And maybe uh, you long for a deeper mountain experience. Maybe you, some of you have never had the mountain experience and you desire it for the first time and maybe some of you just want a deeper mountain experience. Um, Maybe you worry a lot and you want to be set free from that and you want God to help you make the right decisions. Perhaps you don't even trust God yet. You haven't had that experience with him. You haven't seen, you haven't tasted and seen that God is good and you want that to happen for you for the first time. So if like Daniel and if like Moses, if like Elijah and like Jesus, you want God to make you successful in solitude this morning, and before conquering multitudes, you want to have better time in your mountains. Just raise your hand and show God that you want to spend time in, your, in the mountain before you face the multitude. Amen. Let's bow our heads to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us these examples in um, your word of uh, those who spent time in the mountain before they faced the multitudes, Lord. And we know that it's impossible for us to be successful in front of uh, the multitudes and to deliver and to be everything that we have to be if we don't spend time in the mountain retreating first with you, Lord. So we pray this morning that 
just as those who have raised their hands have shown you, Lord, they want a deeper experience in the mountain, Lord. They want you to help them to reach a higher level um, of relationship with you, that they learn to trust you, to depend on you, to put all things on you, and to make their home where you are, Lord. So I pray this morning that you would help us all to have a, a, a more um, profound mountain experience, that we would spend more time in solitude with you, and that in consequence, Lord, you would make us successful when we face the multitudes and when we're going through everything that's ahead of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example of Christ, for everything that he did for us, and for how that makes it possible for us to fulfill everything that you have said for us to do in your word. This morning, we uh, ask a special blessing. We ask that your Holy Spirit would descend, um, that it would convict our hearts of any changes that we need to make, that you would draw us closer to you, Lord, and that we would learn to put you first, to put our eyes on you, and to allow all other things to be in your control. We thank you so much for taking us and carrying us through the trials and tribulations, and we thank you so much for your perfect peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray these things, and we ask them in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.